Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week ended 8th October 2021. This is Ian Haydock. This week, will a new oral antiviral be transformative for COVID? OX40 drugs gain prominence in atopic dermatitis. J&J adds pace to the RSV vaccine race. Sarepto leapfrogs Pfizer in DMD gene therapy and how real-world evidence and randomised trials might go together. Phase 3 data on Merck & Co. and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics oral ribonucleoside analogue, molnupiravir, are being hailed as a transformative event for the COVID-19 pandemic, since an oral antiviral therapy that can lessen disease severity could have more impact than the injectable infused therapies that have come before it. Joseph Haas writes that the partners released interim data on 1st October showing molnupiravir reduced the risk of hospitalisation or death in infected people with mild to moderate cases by nearly 50% compared to placebo. In addition, there were no deaths in the move-out trials treatment arm compared with eight deaths in the control arm. Multiple analysts said the data offered the potential to change the course of the pandemic due to an oral pill's convenience compared to biologic therapies which are currently used to treat hospitalised patients. These include Gilead's Vecluri, Roche Regeneron's Regen-COV doublet and Lilly's Bamlanivimab-Etasevimab combination. Those therapies have not been used as widely as expected due to factors such as their cost, lengthier manufacturing processes and real-world data showing they are not as effective against emerging viral variants as the strains in which they were clinically tested. Several analysts said oral convenience, as well as a less cumbersome manufacturing and shipping process, would likely increase uptake of molnupiravir even though its 50% reduction in hospitalisation and mortality risk comes in lower than the 70-85% to rates seen with the antibody therapies. Evercore ISI analyst Uma Rafat headlined his 1st October note on the readout, Game Changer in COVID, and commented, I don't like using hyperbole, but the data really is that good. For Merck, the positive data represent a validation of its shift to focusing on two therapeutics licensed in late 2020. This January, the US firm pivoted from attempting to develop a vaccine against the coronavirus after determining that other companies had moved too far ahead in the vaccine race. The atopic dermatitis space is one of the hottest areas in immune disease at present, and Sanofi, which is already a key player with the blockbuster Dupixent, and Amgen and partner Kyokirin, have presented promising data on their respective investigational antibody therapies, which both target the OX40 pathway. First up, Kevin Grogan writes, Sanofi has unveiled positive results from a phase 2a study on amlitilimab, which targets the key immune system regulator OX40 ligand at the European Academy of Dermatology and Venerology Congress. In the trial, amlitilimab, which is delivered by intravenous infusion once every four weeks, showed significant improvements in signs and symptoms of moderate to severe atopic dermatitis, which is also known as eczema, with a well-tolerated safety profile in adults whose disease cannot be adequately controlled with topical medications. 
Specifically, the 29 patients treated with the low dose of amlitilimab, which was formerly known as KY1005 and was acquired through the recent purchase of the UK's Kimab, demonstrated an 80% improvement in eczema area and severity index scores at 16 weeks, compared with 49% for the placebo group. The forthcoming Phase 2b trial will evaluate a subcutaneous formulation of the antibody in patients with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. The EADV meeting also saw Amgen and Kyokirin present positive data from a 274-patient Phase 2 study of the anti-OX40 antibody AMG451, also known as KHK4083. The study met the primary objective, showing statistically greater improvements from baseline in EASI at 16 weeks, with all four subcutaneous doses of the drug compared with placebo. All treatment groups achieved improvements compared with placebo at week 16 for key secondary endpoints, the partners noted. Johnson & Johnson has unveiled new data from its respiratory syncytial virus vaccine showing 80% protection against severe infection in over 65s, setting a high benchmark for rivals such as Pfizer and GlaxoSmithKline in what is forecast to become a $10 billion market. The data on its candidate AD26.RSV.PREF presented at ID Week on 2nd October was from the placebo-controlled Phase two Cyprus study of more than 5,700 people aged 65 years. Andrew McConaughey writes that the study met its primary and secondary endpoints, with the adult vaccine not only demonstrating efficacy of 80% against confirmed RSV-associated lower respiratory tract infection, but also 70% efficacy against any symptomatic RSV-associated acute respiratory infection. That looks to have put J&J in pole position in the RSV race, where there are currently no licensed vaccines, despite the infection being one of the most common causes of hospitalisation in over 65s, causing an estimated 177,000 hospital admissions and 14,000 deaths in this age group every year in the US alone. J&J has already announced that it's commencing its registrational Phase 3 Evergreen International Study, based on the mid-stage results, and will look to recruit 23,000 adults aged 60 years and older. That puts J&J just behind Pfizer, which announced the initiation of a global placebo-controlled Phase 3 study of its bivalent pre-fusion F-subunit investigational vaccine candidate in early September. Pfizer surprised competitors and analysts in July when it unveiled impressive results of 100% observed efficacy against mild to moderate symptomatic infection resulting from RSV. Nevertheless, J&J's results are drawn from a larger and older cohort and in a placebo-controlled study, giving them more weight as the large-scale studies get underway. Cyprus involved 5,782 participants compared with 62 adults under 50 in Pfizer's Phase 2a Human Challenge study. Sarepta Therapeutics appears to have a lead in the US over Pfizer in the race to bring the first gene therapy to market for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Sarepta announced the initiation of the pivotal Embark trial on 4th October, testing its gene therapy SRP9001 in the US, Europe and Asia. 
Sarepta and its ex-US partner Roche have been in a close race with Pfizer, which has already started a phase 3 trial, Cifrio, testing the gene therapy Forda-Distrogene Muva-Parvovec in some countries. But the trial was delayed in the US. Pfizer said in Bay that technical questions from the US FDA would extend into the second half of the year. The Phase 3 trial started in December 2020 in Europe and has enrolled boys in over 35 sites in 12 countries, the company said. Jessica Merrill writes that the US delay for Pfizer gave Sarepta a little breathing room in the US market at least, after facing its own setback early in the year. In January, Sarepta revealed that clinical data from the Phase 2-102 trial that showed the gene therapy successfully raised levels of microdystrophin at 12 weeks key biomarker and one of the primary endpoints, did not hit the primary functional endpoint of improving motor function at 48 weeks in boys with DMD. The results were a big disappointment and management explained the outcome on motor function had to do with the randomization of boys in one of the cohorts. Sarepta declined to provide details about the design of the trial or size, but said it does plan to provide more information about Embark as well as additional functional data from prior studies on 11th of October. Timelines for data will depend on the speed of enrolment, which we will work to complete as swiftly as possible, the company said. Also in the DMD gene therapy race, but well behind the two rivals, is Solid Biosciences, which is in phase 1-2 after facing two clinical trial holds. Finally, Pharma has stepped up its efforts around utilising real-world data for drug approvals, but reproducing randomised controlled trials using real-world evidence is challenging and the two are not in competition and rather are complementary, the senior Janssen executive has emphasised. Addressing the recent Indigene Digital Summit, Janssen's Chief Commercial Data Science Officer, Troy Sarek, indicated that while there's been increasing use of real-world evidence for regulatory purposes over time, the majority of the utilisation of such data is in areas like rare diseases. It's not in the mainstream areas where RCTs can be used. It's really in cases where RCTs can't be done or it's really unethical to do so. RCTs and real-world evidence go best together, I believe, Sarek stated at the virtual event. Andrew Gangodi writes that the executive's keynote presentation, punctuated with the disclaimer that it represents his personal views and not those of J&J, referred to a recently published study in the scientific journal Circulation around emulating randomised clinical trials with non-randomised real-world evidence studies. This concluded that agreement between RCTs and real-world evidence findings varies depending on which agreement metric is used and that more trial emulations are needed to understand how often and in what contexts real-world findings match RCTs. What this really means is that in RCTs we can collect specifically the data we want. In real-world evidence, we have to use what data is available. If those don't match up perfectly, it's hard to emulate an RCT with real-world evidence, Sarek explained. The methodology is getting better, but the data matching is not quite there yet, he added. Sarek maintained that while the aspiration should not be for real-world evidence to replace RCTs, he acknowledged how, over time, and increasingly pre-launch and well post-launch into commercialisation, 
real-world evidence is playing a bigger and bigger role in supporting farmers' products in the marketplace. That opportunity will only increase as more data continues to become available, he predicted. Indigene co-founder and Executive Vice President Dr Sanjay Parikh, who moderated the session, also indicated that the health tech solutions provider doesn't expect real-world evidence to completely replace RCTs, which he sees remaining the gold standard in clinical research, although real-world evidence in silico trials might start replacing some of the arms within those trials. Sarik also touched in his wide-ranging presentation on the role of AI in data and on micro-health sensors. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. And don't forget to sign in to access all of these stories in full, which are also linked in the article accompanying this podcast, and to access much more digital content. Bye for now.